This morning, I invite you to open your Bible, if you will, to the book of Acts, and we're in chapter number six today, Acts chapter number six, and we want to look at the life of, of a man named Stephen, and so we're going to look at him. He becomes the very first martyr in the church. Notice how Stephen stood, how stood strong and stood tall in the face of not only persecution, not just the threat of murder, but real, the real murder of Stephen. It was a mob action. It wasn't a pronouncement of a court. And he was killed because of his faith in Jesus Christ. One of the great sermons preached in all of Scripture is found at the, from the lips of Stephen himself. And so we're going to look at that passage of Scripture together. Stephen's death teaches us a lot about our own faith and our own walk with God. How a person dies says a lot about how they've lived their life and about the faith that they have. Michael Sadler was a great man, a man maybe you never heard about, but he lived in the 15th century. He was one of the early reformers, and he took the Reformation of the Luther and Calvin and Zwingli built upon, and they went further in saying we must be completely reliant on the Word of God and not the tradition of men or the religious uh, traditions that we have, but examine things by God's word. And they believed that, that the, the papal authority was bankrupt and, and resisted against Rome. Not only did they believe that, they believed that we ought to live our life free from violence toward other men. They also believed that we ought to be faithful to the word of God. They need to have a public profession of your faith in Jesus Christ, and that infant baptism couldn't save you. And neither could any other kind of baptism. But the baptism that you needed was baptism after confession of faith in Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. This raised the ire of the religious authorities. And they wanted Michael Sadler and others like him uh, to recant their faith and pledge their faith back to Rome. Michael Sadler said, I cannot do it. I will not go back. And he stood strong in the face of persecution and death. And so they convicted him and sentenced him to death because of his faith in Jesus Christ and the word of God. Wow. Michael Sadler, at his conviction, they told him, this is what we're going to do to you. If you don't recant your faith, we are going to torture you. We're going to take hot tongs and and cut out a piece of your tongue, and then we're going to weld you to a wagon, and then we're going to stop periodically and take hot tongues and pull flesh out of your body, and then we're going to take you and burn you on a stake in the fire. Michael Sadler said, whatever you do, I, you can do whatever you do, but I, I will not recount my faith, and I'm going to stand strong, Jesus Christ has changed my life. I will not go back. Wow. And indeed, that's what they did. They clipped part of his tongue off so that, uh, and, and they, they, they drug him through town and they humiliated him and they would stop periodically and take hot tongs and torture him and pull pieces of his flesh out in hatefulness to him. They bound him by ropes and built a huge fire and put him on a ladder and pushed him into the fire. 
But Michael Sadler, as he was dying in that flames, when the flames burnt through the ropes, he told his disciple, those that were following him, he said, I'll tell you whether God's grace is with me in the midst of the fire. And in the midst of the fire, he raised up his arms and he did this like this, victory. That even in death, Christ's presence is with me. Amazing, isn't it? That's, the, that's, that's faith. That's God's presence and trusting in him. Death reveals a lot about who we really are. French philosopher Voltaire used to say concerning Christ, he said, curse that wretch. He hated Christ and Christianity. And he says, in, in 20 years, Christianity will be no more. He said, by my single hand, Voltaire said, I'll destroy the edifice it took the apostles, uh, 12 apostles to build. Hmm. Voltaire was proud and arrogant and cynical and confident in himself. But when he died, he died in desperation. It is reported at Voltaire's death, he cried out, I'm abandoned by God and man. He cried out at one point in his life near death, he said, I'd give half of everything I have just to have six more months to live. And then he cried out, then I guess I'll go to hell and you with me. And at his death, he cried out, oh, Christ, oh, Christ, oh, Jesus Christ. But he died an unbeliever in desperation and fear. Contrast that with John Wesley's death. Wesley died, and when he died, he was full of counsel and comfort of the Holy Spirit and praise to God. John Wesley, in the day of his death, he said, he said, kept saying, repeating, best of all, God is with us. Best of all, God is with us. Best of all, God is with us. Farewell, my friends. And he died. Wow. Adnram Judson, missionary to Burma, was suffering immensely in his death. But he said, I go with gladness like a boy going away from school. I feel so strong in Christ as he died. Jonathan Edwards had smallpox. He was suffering. His daughter was with him, and he gave her some final instructions before he died. And then he said as he died, Wherever is Jesus, my never-failing friend, where is he? He was looking forward to meeting Jesus, his never-ending friend. Amen. Look with me, if you will, to this, this uh, a book of Acts in Acts chapter 7, verse number 54. When they heard these things, they were enraged in their hearts and gnashed their teeth at him. But Stephen, filled by the Holy Spirit, gazed into heaven, and he saw God's glory with Jesus standing at the right hand of God, and he said, Look, I see the heavens open and the Son of Man standing at the right hand of God. And then they screamed at the top of their voices, covered their ears, and together rushed against him. Then they threw him out of the city and began to stone him. And the witnesses laid their robes at the feet of a young man named Saul. And they were stoning Stephen as he called out, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. And then he knelt down and cried out with a loud voice, 
Lord, do not charge them with this sin. And saying this, he fell asleep. Amen. Let's look together in this passage. And if you have your Bible, you're going to need your Bible today. And we're going to look in Acts chapter 6, part of this story. I want you to look at at, uh, the man, Stephen, what we know about him. Notice last week when we talked about the election of these seven men by the congregation and the appointment to ministry and service so that the, the disagreement and the disunity that was threatening the life of the early church might be solved and that the Hellenistic Jewish widows and the Hebraic Jewish widows most, both would be served equally and there would not be a division in the church. And among those was Stephen and called to be one of these early servants or deacons that helped the church carry out the ministry that God had called him to. Stephen was a man full of the Holy Spirit and power and wisdom. And, and, and we're going to look at Stephen, this man, what we know about him. And he says in chapter number six, if you have your Bible, verse number five, they chose Stephen, a man full of faith and the Holy Spirit. That was He was filled up with Jesus in his life. That was Stephen. And when he talked about Stephen, he, verse number eight, notice says, he was full of grace and power and performing great wonders and signs among the people. What do we know about Stephen? He was a man full of grace and power. He shared Christ's grace in his life. The grace of Christ was filling up Stephen. When you think about the character of Stephen, you see the likeness of Jesus in Stephen's life. And he was filled with grace and power. He was doing great wonders and signs among the power, among the people. So he shared uh, in, 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 in Christ's grace and Christ's power. Now, what do we know about Stephen? The word Stephen comes from the word Stephano, Stephanos, and that, that means a crown. As a matter of fact, the person that competed in the games was uh, Olympic Games. If he won and competed well, he was given a crown. And the word Stephen means crown. It comes from that word. It, it, it means a, a, like a garland or a, a wreath that is placed on the head of a victor. A civic letter, leader who performed well would receive this garland, this crown on his head, and would per, be paraded through the streets and acknowledged for their faithfulness in the service. The same for athletes. The Cardinals... By the way, was that an awesome game yesterday afternoon? <laughs> Just wanted to bring it up. Uh-huh. And <clears throat> I, my son, you know, my oldest one, he, he is a wonderful man. And he loves God and he loves family and he's smart, pretty much smart. But he's a diehard Cub, die Cubs fan. I heard that amen. I can't believe anybody said that. And, you know, I did have to call him yesterday afternoon. I've made up a reason. And uh, (laughs) the Cardinals are going to acknowledge three new guys into their Cardinals Hall of Fame this year. Among them is Vince Coleman. Unbelievable. Stole all of those bases. Rookie year, 110 bases. 
amazing athlete. And uh, you remember his career was kind of shut, cut short because the tarp rolled over his leg, and it was a horrible thing. But anyway, uh, kind of, uh, but unbelievable. And then uh, also Ray Langford and, and, and a pitcher from the 40s, Beecher, Beecher is also going to be inducted. It's, it, they're going to be honored and acknowledged in a special way. Well, that's what this crown would do. It was an acknowledgement of your honoring for your faithfulness and service. And I think it's an appropriate name for Stephen because he's the first martyr that we see in the Christian church. Paul said when he finished his life, he said uh, uh, that my end has come. The time of my departure is near. He said, I've finished the course. I've kept the faith. Therefore, there is laid up for me a crown of righteousness, but not only for me, but also for all those who loved his appearing. There is, there is reward to faithful service in Jesus Christ. Amen? And we see, it, we see it in Stephen's life. He was filled with grace, the unmerited favor, the riches of God in Christ flowed through Stephen, and it went out and it touched other people. The word grace also carries the idea of charm and beauty and character. And there was a grace and a gentleman quality to Stephen's life, a courage that was in his life. He acted like Jesus. He talked like Jesus. And his gra- the grace of God had changed his life. He also shared in Christ's power. It says, not only was filled with grace, he was filled with power. The word power there is Dynamic power, dunamis, dynamite, explosive power with great authority and great works in his life. That's the kind of man that Stephen was. Notice what it says in the scripture. It says concerning Stephen, he was performing great wonders and signs among the people. It reminds us of what Peter said about Jesus Christ himself in Acts chapter 2, verse number 22. Listen to what the Scripture says. Men of Israel, listen to these words. This Jesus of Nazareth was a man pointed out to you by God with miracles, wonders, and signs that God did among you through him, as you yourselves know. Stephen, when men looked at Stephen's life, they saw the power of God, and God did miracles in and through the life of Stephen. He walked with God. He knew God. He demonstrated God's power in his living and in his preaching. And in the face of hate, he stood strong and tall and courageous and gave a defense of his faith in Christ. That's the power of God. Without the power of God, we give in to weakness and we don't have courage in the face of threats. In Illinois, many years ago, there was a man who grew up just south of Heron, Illinois, in a place called Energy. And uh, in that church, uh, a layman felt God's call upon his life and began to work with Sunday school there. The, the church exploded in growth, and, and, and in the Sunday school movement, people from all over wanted to be trained on how to be better in starting small groups and Sunday schools. His name was Leon Kilberth. He came known to be, to be known by the moniker Mr. Sunday School. He went all over the convention teaching people about how to grow Sunday schools and reach people for Christ. 
I heard Leon Kilbreth speaking one day, and he talked about going out in visitation. Now, Leon Kilbreth was a short guy. He was wiry and, 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 and fiery and filled with faith. And, and I'm telling you, he wasn't afraid of anyone, it seemed like. And he was so strong. I, he was talking about going out to outreach visitation. And, and as a matter of fact, I had the privilege to go with him, soul in and outreach visitation. He, he's gone home to be with the Lord now, but he was faithful nearly into uh, late 80s, 90 years old in, in this kind of work. He told a story one time. He was an outreach visitation. It was a very difficult part of town. And he went to go visit this man. His wife came to church all the time, but this man was a rough uh, negative, and told his wife, I don't want anybody from the church coming to see me. But he said he was praying about it, and he just knew that God had led him to go and, pre- and talk to old George about giving his heart and life to Jesus. And so he went to the door. He, he, he asked his wife, says, is George going to be home? She said, yes. He said, I'm going to go by and see him. She said, I, I'm not sure you should. He said, I'm going to buy and see him. She said, I won't be there. And so she left. <laughs> So he walked up to the, to the house, and the screen, door, the screen door was closed, but the main door was open, and he could hear TV inside, and he rapped on the door. It's on a Saturday, and when he walked, he said, yeah, who is it? And he said, it's Brother Leon from the church. He said, just a minute. And he says, when he opened the door, this big barrel-chested man with a white T-shirt on stood there with a 12-gauge shotgun pointed right at his face. Leon looked at him. He said, nice to meet you. And he said, you better get off my porch. He said, mister, God in heaven told me to come to see you. God in heaven can block that trigger. And God in heaven can melt that barrel. And if you pull that trigger and it goes off, I'll be with God in heaven but you're going to go to hell if you don't respond to what I have to tell you today. The guy just looked at him, put down his gun, set it down, says, come in. And in 10 minutes, he gave his life to Jesus Christ, wept like a baby, and became born again. Isn't that awesome? That's the kind of power that we see in Stephen's life filled with God's strength and God's power. And Stephen is preaching powerfully. He's a, he's a man of faith. He's a man of power. But also we notice that he has Christ's wisdom in verse number 10. When they would debate with him, notice Stephen was full of grace in verse number 8, performing wonders and signs. Verse 9, there's some people from the freedman's synagogue in Jerusalem. In Jerusalem are many, multiple different synagogues. And one of them is known as the Freedman's Synagogue. That's because uh, they're, they're Hellenistic Jews. Their ancestors were taken captive by Pompey in around A.D. 63. Many of them carried, carried away to Rome and forced into slavery. But they were freed. And after they were freed from slavery, they formed a Jewish community and their own synagogue, and they named their synagogue Freedman's Synagogue. And that means we used to be slaves, and now we're free men. And so among uh, uh, Stephen identifies with them, and, and there's also some Cyrenians and Alexandrians. These are from northern Africa. 
and then some from Cilicia and Asia. This is Asia Minor and uh, Turkey in that area. And, uh, and so these are Hellenistic Jews, and he is debating with them. And they're disputing with Stephen in verse number 9. And they were unable, verse 10, to stand up against the wisdom and the spirit by which he spoke. He was so filled with wisdom that when he debated, he understood the Bible, he understood Bible history, and he understood good argument in the, in the Word. And he was not, it wasn't just a rational thing, but the Spirit of God enabled him with great wisdom from above. That was Stephen. As a matter of fact, look with me. It says, he disputed with whom? Some from Cilicia and Asia. What town is found in Cilicia? Tarsus. What young man from Tarsus studied at the feet of Rabban Gamaliel? Saul. And quite possibly, Saul was debating Stephen. And Stephen took him behind the woodshed in a debate. This is Stephen, full of God's power and God's wisdom and God's strength. Amen? Wow. The strength of God, the wisdom of God, the power of God. This world considers what we believe to be foolishness, but it's God's power and wisdom in us. Amen? When I was just a young man in college, I had, uh, some of you, I went to SIU Carbondale, the citadel of orthodoxy, the party school, really. I had a great experience there. It was not a Christian school. I took some philosophy and religion classes while I was there. They were pathetic. But there was good background to some of those classes that I took. I had a class that I took, um, an, a, a biblical history class, and it was taught by a man who graduated from Harvard Divinity School, but he, he was not a believer. He was agnostic. And, and, and in that class one day, I was just a young man. I was just like 19 years old, and I was taking some notes. There was a debate in the class, and all of a sudden we were talking about the sacrificial system of the Jews, and, and somebody talked about Christ and his sacrificial death. And he scoffed and made fun of Jesus. And he said, I can't believe that y'all would believe that. What idiot would believe that Jesus Christ dying on a piece of wood would redeem people from their sins? He said, that doesn't even make sense. It's just foolishness. And there was a man sitting in the class. His name was Harl Cockrum. And Harl Cockrum, I didn't know him, but I, I knew of him. And, and he, was, he was a pastor, preacher. And he stood, he was in the back of the class. He was an older, he was much, he was older than I was. And he said, sir, and he said, yes. He said, the word of the cross is to those who are perishing foolishness, but to us who are being saved, it's the power of God. He got so mad, he said, class dismissed. It's God's power. Wisdom. Stephen was a man of wisdom. It's not only that, he showed his wisdom, but, but <clears throat> he shared in Christ's rejection. Verse number 13, 
They presented false witnesses about him. They said, this man does not stop speaking blasphemous words against this holy place and the law. For we heard him say that Jesus, this Nazarene, will destroy this place and change the customs that Moses handed down to us. Notice that, they're reject, that he's with Christ in this rejection because these are the very same accusations they made against Jesus himself. And they accused Jesus of blasphemy. So they haul off Stephen to the Sanhedrin, the 72, to stand before the court in front of the same Sanhedrin, in front of the same high priest, and give an account in intimidation the very ones that condemned Jesus to be crucified. And notice, not only the man Stephen, but I want you to notice the message of Stephen. And so look at his message. Now, the message, this apology, this defense before the Sanhedrin, notice what happens. In chapter 7, verse 1, they said, Is this true? The high priest asked. He said, Brothers and fathers, he said, Listen, the God of glory appealed to our father Abraham when he was in Mesopotamia, before he settled in Haran. And he said to him, Get out of your country and away from your relatives and come to the land that I will show you. You see, the Jews had built their system of faith upon three pillars. The first pillar was the pillar of hope in the land. The second pillar was hope in the law and Moses. And the third pillar was the temple itself. And so Stephen, in this sermon, helps them realize that those are false hopes and sacred cows, and he pokes holes in their logic. Now, we don't have, it's a very long sermon, so we're just going to look at some excerpts of it and see the argument that he makes first. First argument is against the land. In chapter 7, verse number 4, you have your Bible, look. He says, then he came out of the land of the Chaldeans and settled in Haran. Who did? Abraham. And from there, after his father died, God had moved him to this land that you now live in. Verse 5, he didn't give him an inheritance in it, not even a foot of ground. But he promised to give it to him as a possession and to his descendants after him even though he was childless. But his point is this. God appeared to Abraham where? In Mesopotamia. What he's saying is, it's not the land, it's the Lord. And he had a relationship with the Lord. He heard the Lord when he was in Mesopotamia. He heard the Lord when he was in Haran. He heard the Lord when he sojourned in the land. He heard the Lord even though he didn't own any land. He heard the Lord even when he didn't have a child that God was going to bless him. It was about a relationship with the living Lord and not about the land. Verse number 9. He now also talks of a next argument. He says about the patriarchs. They became jealous. That's the, uh, Joseph's brothers. And they're jealous of Joseph. And they sold him where? Into what? Egypt. But God was with him. So here's the point. Even though Isaac and Jacob were in the land, Jacob's sons, because of jealousy, sell Joseph off. But God is with Joseph even in Egypt. 
Because God is not contained in a land. It's about a living relationship with the living Lord. And God took care of Joseph in Egypt. As a matter of fact, he raised up Joseph. And he didn't forget about Joseph. And he made him second in command in all of Egypt. And he, became, he becomes a rescuer of the children of Israel in the midst of their famine. You see, it's not in the land. That's his argument. Verse number 30. It says, after 40 years had passed, an angel appeared to him in the wilderness of Mount Sinai. Who's this? Moses. God raises up Moses. God protects Moses. Moses is 40 years old. He goes to defend one of his countrymen. Ends up killing another man. Ends up, that's found out, becomes an exile. Has to live like a fugitive. Live like a fugitive goes away into Midian and lives there for 40 years, has two children there. But in verse number 40, after 40 years passed, an angel appeared to him in the wilderness, aware of what? Mount, what's it say? Say with me. Of what? Mount Sinai. That is not in Israel. It's not in the land. But God meets him in a burning bush. When he saw it, he was amazed at the sight. And he was approaching to look at it. And the voice of the Lord came and says, I'm the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And Moses began to tremble and did not dare to look. And the Lord said to him, remove the sandals from your feet, for the place where you're standing is holy ground. And I've observed the oppression of my people in Egypt. I've heard their groaning. And I've come down to rescue them. And now come, I will send you to Egypt. God is not just contained in the land of Israel. God is in Midian meeting with, with Moses, raising him up and calling him on mission to go back to Egypt where he's heard the groaning of God's children. It is not about land. It's about the living Lord and hearing his voice. Amen. Verse 36. This man led them out and performed wonders and signs in the land of Egypt at the Red Sea and in the wilderness for 40 years. Hmm. Number two. He pokes a hole in the false hope of just trusting in Moses and the law. Notice verse number 37. This is the Moses who said to the Israelites, God will raise up for you a prophet like me from among your brothers. He's the one who was in the congregation in the wilderness together with the angel who spoke to him at Mount Sinai and with our ancestors. He received living oracles to give to us. Our ancestors were unwilling to obey him, but pushed him away and in their hearts turned back to Egypt. They told Aaron, make us gods who'll go before us. And as for this Moses who brought us out of the land of Egypt, we don't know what's happened to him. His point is, it's not, it's, our hope is not found in Moses or the law because our forefathers God gave the law to Moses, but you, our forefathers, rejected the law and went and worshipped idols. They rejected Moses' authority, and that's why Moses said, there will be a prophet. There is one with us. Jesus was with them in the wilderness. God's presence was there. It's not about a tablet or laws. Jesus himself, you search the scriptures, the law, thinking that in them you'll have life eternal. But they testify, 
of me. And in me, there's everlasting life. This is the very point that Stephen is making. A false hope of Moses and the law. See, a false hope in the temple. His, in his preaching, he said, but it was Solomon who built him a house. However, the Most High does not dwell in sanctuaries made with hands, as the prophet says. Heaven is my throne and earth my footstool. What sort of house will you build for me, says the Lord? Or what is my resting place? Did not my hand make all these things? It's not the temple or the tabernacle. And if you rest in the tabernacle and the temple sacrifices, it's a false hope. Because there's only one sacrifice that can make us right with God. And that's Jesus Christ, the righteous one. Amen? Who died for all of our sins. And so this is the the very point that he's making. And he says, the problem is in your hearts. He said, your hearts are wrong. The false hope of your stiff-necked and hardened hearts. Fill in the blank, please. You stiff-necked people with uncircumcised hearts and ears. You're always resisting the Holy Spirit as your ancestors did, so do you. Which of the prophets did your forefathers not persecute? They even killed those who announced beforehand the coming of the righteous man, one whose betrayers and murderers you have now become. You received the law under the direction of angels, yet you've not kept it. Why? Because your hearts are wrong. And when they hear this, they're enraged and they turn against Stephen. This is the the thing. You put your hope in the wrong thing. And this is... This is the man Stephen, the message of Stephen. And as, as he's concluding this message, they're enraged at him. And that brings us to the very text that we looked at a while ago. When they heard these things, they were enraged in their hearts. They gnashed their teeth at him. But Stephen was filled by the Holy Spirit. He gazed into heaven and he saw God's glory with Jesus standing at the right hand of God. And he said, look. I see the heavens open and the Son of Man standing at the right hand of God. And they screamed at the top of their voices. They covered their ears. And together they rushed against him. They threw him out of the city and began to stone him. And witnesses laid their robes at the feet of a young man named Saul. And they were stoning Stephen as he called out, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. He knelt down and cried out with a loud voice, Lord, do not charge them with this sin. And saying this, he fell asleep. Stephen is filled with the Holy Spirit. He gazes into heaven and he saw God's glory. And he saw Jesus standing at the right hand of the Father in heaven. Notice what he said in verse 56. He said, I see the Son of Man standing at the right hand of God. He says, I see the Son of Man standing at the right hand of God. They screamed and they stopped their ears and they rushed. They seized him. They threw him out of the city. And they wanted to stone him. Stephen stood strong. Stephen was filled with the Spirit and courage and the power of God. 
in his life. Notice, he says, I see the heavens open and the Son of Man standing at the right hand of God. This is what he saw, he said. He said to them, listen, you're trying to save yourselves, you can't. This is what Stephen said. I want you to listen close. We're just about done. Stay with me. He said, listen to me. You cannot be saved by your nationality. You cannot be saved by your ethnicity. You cannot be saved by your religious works. You can't be saved because of the land. You can't be saved because of your heritage. You can't be saved because of what you think are your good works. You can't be saved because you say that you're elect and the others aren't. You can't be saved by buildings, and you can't be saved by laws and rules. Understand this is what he said, and that's why they turned against him. Folks, I want to make this really clear. Understand Stephen's message. Today, you can't be saved. Just because you're an American doesn't mean you're going to heaven. Just because you're, you're a certain nationality, you speak English. I don't, folks, I'm telling you. We can have all the campaigns about making America great, but it doesn't make you go to heaven. The only way you can get to heaven is a right relationship with God through Jesus Christ, our Lord. It's not in politics. And it's not in rules. And some of you think it's in your logbook, your rule book. What you think are your laws, your rules. And, and, and you think by keeping a certain Baptist law that somehow you're right with God. No, your law-keeping will never make you right with God. It might make you miserable to be around, but it won't make you right with God. It might make you feel better about yourself in judgment of other people that you don't like. But that is not the way we're saved. We're saved all the same way through a living relationship with Jesus Christ our Lord. That's the only way. It's not in your sacrifices. It's not in your worship activity. It's not in your religious duties. It's in falling in love with Jesus Christ. He will change your life. Only Him. And this is what He said. And that's why they reacted so strongly against Him. Secondly, this is what He saw. He saw Jesus standing at the right hand. He fixed His gaze into heaven. He says, I see Jesus. Standing at the right hand of God. Woo! Can you imagine? They said they saw his face. It was like the glow of an angel. Because he had been with God, like Moses. Wow. So what do they do? They stop their ears. They rush him. They grab him. They throw him outside of the city. And they pick up rocks. And the witnesses that falsely testified him. They're the first to throw them. And they grab these stones and they start throwing stones at Stephen. The stones come at his head, at his, at his body, and maybe he's blocking. And next thing you know, stones are hitting him. Big rocks knocks him down, shatters bones, bruises him. Maybe he knocks out teeth. He's standing there, blood, broken bones. And he says, I see Jesus at the right hand of God. And he turns his heart toward God. 
Those, notice the power and the presence of God in him as they're throwing the rocks at him. They threw him out of the city, began to stone him, and the witness laid their robes at the feet of a young man named Saul. And they were stoning Stephen, and he called out, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. Reminds me of what Jesus said on the cross. Father, into thy hands I commit my spirit. But now he says, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. Wow. And then he knelt down and he cried out with a loud voice. Do not charge them with this sin. And he fell asleep. What he saw, what he showed. He showed him the love of God even in his death. Even in his death. He's like our Savior. He said, Father, forgive them. They know not what they're doing. He said, Father, don't hold this against them. And he prays to the Lord Jesus. Wow. And a great story. And then he fell asleep. And their robes are left at the feet of this young man named Saul. What are the takeaways? What do we, what do we learn How do I stand strong in a hostile world? Number one, declare the truth. Stephen didn't back away. He told the truth. Folks, it's not time for the church of Jesus Christ to shrink back and change the truth. Let's preach the truth in a hostile world. Amen? He is the truth. And we preach Jesus. Jesus said, I am the way and the truth and the life, and no man comes to the Father but by me. There's no other name given among men whereby we must be saved. Jesus is the true way. Secondly, defend your faith. We need to, give an, we need to be ready to give an account of what we believe. We've trusted the Lord, so be ready to defend your faith. Number three, you've got to be willing to die to yourself. Listen, Stephen was willing to die for himself. He, he, he died to himself because he was fully going to live for Christ. Jesus said, if any man wants to come after me, let him deny himself, take up his own cross, and follow after me. We, we have to die to ourselves. If you're not willing to die for something, you'll never live for something. And, Jesus, and, and Stephen was sold out to live for Jesus Christ, so he died to himself, so he'll live to Christ. Paul said, I am crucified with Christ. It's no longer I who live, but Christ liveth in me. And the life I live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God, who loved me and delivered himself up for me. Died to self. Number four, determined to trust in God. He kept entrusting himself to one who judges righteously. Peter says, when you suffer, Christ has given you an example to follow in his steps. While being reviled, he did not revile in return. By, while being threatened, he uttered no threats, but kept entrusting himself to one who judges righteously. Listen, did Peter, what did, when, when Stephen is being stoned, and they're picking up those rocks and throwing them against him. What does Stephen do? He says, I'm trusting God. He's going to take care of me. He didn't fight. 
He didn't reach into his concealed carry bag and pull out other stones and start hefting them back. He's willing to die for the one who died for him. Folks, understand this. If you want to know Christ and the power of his resurrection, you've got to know the fellowship of his suffering. And if we die for our faith, it will do nothing but advance the church of Jesus Christ and make big the name of Christ. Trust God. He said, I see Jesus standing at the right hand of the throne of God. When Jesus was, when Jesus accomplished his work, it says he was seated at the right hand of the throne. But when one of his faithful servants is about to die and standing tall, and acting and speaking just like Jesus did at his death. Our Savior rises and stands and says, come on home. Woo! The Lord is with you. Trusted God. Amen? Number five, demonstrate love. Demonstrate love. Show the love of God. He says, forgive him. He said, God, they're killing me. <laughs> God, this is the toughest crowd I've ever preached to. They're killing me, God. They really were. But as they were killing him, he was praying for them. The very enemies that had turned on him, he's praying for them. Wow. Isn't that what Jesus said? Didn't he said, you heard it said... That you are to love your neighbors and hate your enemies. But I say to you, love your enemies. Pray for those who persecute you. That you may be sons of your Father who's in heaven. Folks, we're kingdom people, not worldly people. Amen? And the weapons of our warfare are spiritual. Let's put on the armor of God. Not to slay men, but to stand for Christ in a hostile world. And that the love and the power and the grace of God would be seen in us in this broken world. Amen? Amen. Father in heaven, if there's somebody here that doesn't know Jesus Christ as personal Lord and Savior, I pray that they'll come to trust him and know him. I thank you that Stephen, he knew Christ. He followed Christ. He trusted in Christ. And the very character of Christ was fashioned in his life. Father, make us to be men and women like Stephen. So in love with Jesus. Oh, Father, you're speaking. If there's somebody here that's not living for Christ, I pray that today they would come and repent and turn back to God. Others here today who need to confess their faith, they might come and trust God as Lord and Savior. Oh, Lord, have your way. 
in our hearts, our lives. In Jesus' name, amen. Stand with me. Won't you come? Come now as we sing.